Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, I have an interview with the amazing Bevan James Isles. I'm a big fan of Bevan. If you look at Bevan's achievements over nearly two decades, you might just assume he's one of those lucky blokes who were just incredibly sorted from the start. And it's really not quite like that. I will tell you a little bit about his achievements in a second, but then Bevan is going to tell you very much about where he started. A couple of little technical things before we crack on. The Skype does flicker a little just at the start of the interview, but it soon settles down. Uh, Considering Bevan is actually from New Zealand and we were some 11,500 miles apart, I think we can all be pretty happy with it. The show notes can be found at www.blokeology.io forward slash 015. One other little technical point, if you are following the podcast on Overcast, which is an app for Apple, and it's the one I use actually, I'm really a big fan of it. There seems to be some technical problem with my feed at the moment, so the show notes aren't coming through on Overcast. They are appearing everywhere else and you can find them on the website. I will continue to work on that and hopefully it will appear in Overcast as normal very soon. So let me tell you a little bit about Bevan. Now, Bevan's been, uh, he's based in New Zealand, but he's working, has been working in the fitness industry since some 1999. He is really a multi-award winning fitness instructor. Uh, And the other thing about Bevan is he's competed at Ironman triathlon at the very highest levels, including professionally. Um, He remains quite heavily involved in triathlon with the hugely popular podcast, I Am Talk. Um, and that's how I first picked up on him. And then I followed him to his own website and to his own podcast, which is incredibly um, valuable. He's written a great book called The Fitness Attitude, which at the time of recording was just available for just 99 pence on Kindle. And that represents incredible value. More than anything, Bevan's a man who seems to have a clear sense of purpose, a, a mission. And it's not about just helping fit people get fitter. He's very much into helping people who are struggling with their fitness behaviors and who are just exploring exercise for the first time. He's made it his mission to try and help them as well. He is an incredible source of good advice and sound, solid thinking about how we go about changing our lives and tackling problems. Um, I strongly recommend you check out his own podcast, get his book, soak up his stuff. I've benefited enormously from Bevan's insights um, and applied them to my own life. And I hope you do too. Let's crack on. And the first thing I wanted to ask you, Bevan, was to tell us about your, um, um, your, your journey, really. From you describe it a lot in your kind of in your podcast and your work about starting as a drop kick, the, you know the position you came from to where you are now. Yeah, so um, I, I kind of really am the drop kick story. Um, <laughs> so basically, I was I was a kid who really struggled with education. Um, I basically was uh, when I, I when I do public speaking, I often say um, I, I failed school and I wasn't the kid who didn't try. I was basically a bit thick, and <laughs> and, I, and I really was. Uh, and so, like, I couldn't spell. Like, I didn't even spell like three letter words. I couldn't really read. And so, school was a real failure for me. And um, and I left school with a lot of scars and identity that came with that. So I left school with this kind of sense of I am a total failure. Um, I'm going to go nowhere in life. And also I wasn't the most 
most moral slash ethical person at that time. So I kind of went down this real downward spiral. And um, the one thing I do have in my personality traits is it's kind of, if I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And luckily as an adult, I've kind of learned to kind of direct that in the right direction. But as a kid, I didn't really understand how to do that. And so, yeah, basically druggy, um, you know, just every kind of bad thing you think can happen. And it was, and it was just this very quick decline to a place where, I just wasn't a very good person. Um, There's an aspect of crime to my life. There's an aspect of um, I was a hopeless cheat to my partner. Um, you know, I just was a, a pretty horrible person to other people, but also lacked a lot of confidence within myself. Um, and, and one way that was represented was uh, I became a real bad stutterer. And it wasn't because I lacked speaking ability. It was just because I had no confidence in my ability as a person. And so I basically really saw myself as not really offering much value to myself or my world, really. And, um, yeah, and there's a lot of damage to myself and my world for, for that reason. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So I guess the big question is what happened? What changed? What what turned you onto a different path? There was kind of – there was – there was three. There was kind of three key moments. One was, um, like, if you think of me and my friends, we were kind of the lowest of the low, you know. So like, yeah, we were kind of the, the scum of the town, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and you can paint that picture yourself. Uh, and I remember one night, I went out, and even the next day, one one of my friends, and again, we're the lowest of the low, and he said to me, "You realise you're a real embarrassment." Mm. And there was a real. There was a kind of a bit of a wake up moment because I'd never, you never really see yourself from another perspective. At least I didn't have awareness in my life at that moment. And I remember him saying to that, that to me was a bit of a shock. Um, and I'm, that was one moment. And then another moment was a guy, my best friend at the time, we just got stoned all the time. It was, you know, we're just 24 seven were stoned. And, uh, and he said to me one night, you realize we're druggies. And as much as I was stoned 24 seven, I'd never identified as a druggie, you know, like I just, I, I didn't, you know, like a, I, my actions said I was, but my my perception of myself didn't actually represent that. And that was a real wake up call. But then the big one was I had a really bad LSD experience um, where I went to, like LSD is a pretty dangerous drug and in that it kind of enhances all your senses. In some ways it's really fun and cool, but if you go to a bad place, it can be pretty dangerous. And I went to, became pressed in, in an LSD kind of experience. And through that, I actually kind of went through that kind of depressed state that I was in under LSD. I actually got to an epiphany moment where I had probably the ultimate awareness of myself. And I really just saw who I was. I was kind of this unskilled, vulnerable, insecure young man who was just kind of creating a lot of damage to my world and myself. And I had this moment, and, uh, and I use the saying quite a lot, this day but it was, it was this is really true i just had this moment where i was like how can i become a, the best version of myself and it popped up in this lsd experience and i literally went cold turkey on alcohol drugs and everything within the next three weeks and started to develop myself like i did spelling lessons of five-year-olds sitting next to me and this is like when i'm 20 um i did you know i started educating myself you know and uh, you know and that was a real turning point and from that moment forward i was kind of was fortunate enough to kind of create a life where I've been able to do some cool things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's an incredible, yeah, show, that's incredible courage to do that kind of the, go the, this to take this like they say the spelling thing. A lot of folk would, would you know, that's a that requ- requ- requires incredible character to kind of be prepared to put yourself in that position and to and to move forward. A lot of folk just, as you say, it's very difficult to see ourselves as others see us. 
um yeah and then you clearly have acted on it incredibly well, I, th- well I, th- I think one thing that really helped me so as much as i was a dropkick druggie um one thing that did work for me was that I, I once went to a party and I remember going to this party and one of my mates who I didn't really know is kind of a new friend in, in my drug world. And he picked up the guitar and he started playing Bob Marley redemption song. And I just thought it was the coolest thing, you know, you know, <laughs> you have to pick up a guitar at the party. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to learn the guitar. And so I went home, I bought a guitar and I started painting guitar lessons and I became quite passionate about playing guitar. And this is still in my kind of drops dropkick kind of phase and after about a year i became quite good on the guitar like i was no Jimi hendrix but you know like i was i could pick i could be that guy at the party if you know what i mean and people started kind of telling me i was good at guitar now i'd always been a good athlete i'd always been a pretty sporty kid but i wasn't a sporty kid who was good because i'd practiced i was just kind of naturally good whereas guitar was the first thing in life where i kind of picked something up as a beginner and got good at it and it was a real powerful moment for me because it made me realize that if I want to be good at something, just practice. Like it was such a simple life concept. <laughs> and then when I then when I kind of had this drug moment, I just thought to myself, well, all the areas – because when you give up drugs and alcohol, what you have to do is you have to overcome all the reasons you use drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I would only dance if I was drunk. I didn't think I could pick up a gill unless I was drunk. I didn't think I could be creative on the guitar unless I was stoned. So you have to overcome all the things that you've identified for the reasons you've used those substances. Um, so when I gave up the alcohol and the drugs, it was like, well, if I want to be good at spelling, I just need to practice. Like, so I, if I want to be good at my career, I just need to practice. And it was a really simple, basic concept, but I, the guitar lesson taught me that. And, then once you practice, you get better. So then you believe you can do it. And so it kind of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. In yeah, it's all that whole Malcolm Gladwell thing, isn't it? And I, I, I've lost count of the amount of time I spend telling my son this, that, you know, it's about... Interestingly, I've got a daughter who very much gets it and practices, you know, relentlessly. But my son, I'm trying mm. to persuade him that if you're not good at something, it's just about putting the arrows in and you can, it's all, and yeah. I'm a big fan of all that learning stuff myself. And even now it's just, it's kind of, we're always learning, aren't we? I know you've talked a lot about um, your, your passion for piano. Um, and how that's yeah. still something that kind of learning approach that you take into that. Yeah, well, that's what I, like I love. Like I did Iron Man for years, and and I loved Iron Man, and I'm really proud of the moment I quit because I did it for seven or eight years. I gave it everything I could give, but I quit at the moment because there wasn't much more learning in it for me. And and for me, the the activities we take in life are about evolving of self. And I could still be doing Ironman to this day, but I don't know if I would have grown much more in the last eight years if I kept at that sport. Whereas at that moment, I realized my my growth, it kind of, you know, there's probably some, a couple kind of degrees of growth to go, but, hmm. you know, I realized, you know, if I go to something else in life, that can do that. And that's what piano has done. Like I, I'm an adult learner as a piano, mm-hmm. but I learned so much about myself <laughs> You know, not just as a musician, as a person, because it's a new skill. You know, there's much more development for me, and I love that. I kind of, I, I really think that life should be about evolution of self. Yeah, you've got some. I, I know mm. that you're kind of. You've been an amazing. You're an amazingly successful kind of health. You know, fitness instructor, fitness professional, um, all sorts of accolades mm. already. I, 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 I loved your book, The Fitness Attitude, and there's lots of. Okay. And I, 
I love listening to your stories on the podcast as well and your kind of approaches to managing the day-to-day. So it's not like, so I think that kind of ongoing learning stuff is really important, isn't it? Because I think you take that approach all the time. It's not just that you've, you know, you changed it all back when you were dropkick and now you're fixed and everything's perfect. It's a constant process about managing the bad yeah. habits and stopping the bad habits from creeping creeping in. One of the things I really wanted to ask you about, because it really resonated with me a few years ago when um, I think your book first came out and you talked about it, was about black and white rules. And I wondered if you could mm. um, just sort of tell tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so so one thing, one thing uh, you know, I'm a big believer in tools. I, I really am. I, I'm a big believer that um, the management of self, if you look at people, I, I love the idea of, you know, sometimes in life you meet someone who's just got it together. <laughs> You know what I mean? And not just got it together in one area. They just got life together. You know, they're genuinely happy. It's not put on. Mm -hmm. Um, They're successful in whatever they choose to be successful in. They're probably pretty doing well in finances. You know, they just, you look at them and you go, you know what? This person's got it sussed. And um, there's a level of competency and it's not a cocky kind of arrogance. It's just, you know, I trust that I know how to live my life well. And to me, that's really about the tools we use, mm. you know, that most of those people have really great tools. Like I'm, I'm sure most of those people have probably really good organization tools and um, really good management of money tools and all those types of things. But there's also a lot of self tools that we use. Uh, and, and that's my exploration is what are the tools that we can use and then you know, as, as a running coach, I do running. As a running coach, one of the things you try to teach people is the key to success is consistency. So mm-hmm. if we know there are tools that work, we'll then be consistent with them. And, and a really great tool is what we call black and white rules. And um, black and white rules, a good example of it is uh, in New Zealand, we have what we call dry July. So dry July okay, is yeah. – uh, I mean, you might have a similar thing. It's for January here, I think. Yeah, dry January. It's okay, after yeah. post-Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's kind of month where you don't drink, yeah. and um, or, or or nowadays they kind of just say choose choose anything that you yeah. think you struggle with, um, and and the thing about those dry Julys is that often people find them quite easy, you know that when mm. they get into the dry July, it's like I'm not drinking for this month, and they suddenly find not drinking easier. And these are people who probably have you know a couple of glasses of wine a night. You know, they may not be alcoholics, but they've got a drinking habit which also probably has a sense of guilt around it. You know, there's probably a level of drinking where they wish they didn't drink as much as they do. Uh, there's a lot of people who have not an unhealthy level of drinking, but they still maybe have a level of guilt around it. And so they go to dry July and it's really easy. And then what happens is at the end of that month, they often will say to themselves, oh, I really like not drinking. I feel healthier. I feel, you know, and so on and so on. So I'm not going to drink as much as I get into August. But the funny thing happens when they get to August, because they have now gone back to allowing some alcohol back into life, they just go back to their old habits. And what black and white rules kind of say is that if you say, I don't do something, it's actually easier than saying, I sometimes do something. And one of the things I talk about in the book is this kind of idea about the lawyer in your head. So, like, for example, I don't drink. I just don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, there's lots of reasons why, but I just don't. So there's no, there's never a lawyer in my head trying to negotiate <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. There's never a lawyer in my head saying, you know what, it's Saturday night. Yeah, if you mates, you know, you just have a couple. Because in my mind, I don't drink. So when it's black and white, it means I just don't do this thing. When you just don't do this thing, you remove the negotiation in your head. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that makes it really easy. When you're somebody who's a bit 
coming and going, then suddenly the lawyer appears. And the lawyers are pretty good negotiator. Yeah. The lawyer kind of knows your weak points. The lawyer knows how you can justify, you know what, you can do it tonight, tomorrow night, you don't do it. Um, but often we lose the battle with the lawyer. And so what we say with black and white rules is in some areas of our life, sometimes it's better to be black and white. And it's something we need to predetermine for ourselves and look at, you know, your own areas. But for me, drugs and alcohol are just something I can't do in my life. It's just an area that I, 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 if there's a lawyer there, I'm going to lose the battle. Um, and I'm going to end up in a place that's just not healthy for myself and my world. Now, for example, chocolate. Mm-hmm. I have five bits of dark chocolate every night at dinner. <laughs> and there's no negotiation there. I can have, it's a, it's a, some people could argue it's an unhealthy habit. I, I, I think I've got a healthy level around it. Um, so, I, I, you know, that's an area where I can have maybe a bit more of a temptation area of my life. And the lawyer doesn't really win the battle either. So I think it's an area, the black and white rule thing is an area that if you know there's an area in your life that ultimately comes at quite a big scarring to your life, it's often easier to try the black and white approach than trying to think, I'll just do a little bit of something because often you end up just back to where you always started. Yeah. Yeah, I think it works really well. Yeah. And I kind of, I know the example you gave in the book was to do with junk food as well and airports and things like yeah. that. And that was one that really resonated yeah. with me because just even when I travel, I live up in the northwest of England and traveling down to London on the train every time I was just getting stuck into a Burger King. Couldn't, and then I just said, yeah. I, I let myself do it once. And exactly as you said, I think you have described in your podcast in the past, you do it once and then the next time you think, oh, it'll be okay as well. And actually it made a, yeah. made a big difference to me, that kind of thing. I, I guess part of it is just that kind of decision-making process. Oh, you know, it's uh, in terms of the neuropsychology, you don't have to, you make the decision mm-hmm. and then you don't have to keep revisiting the decision every time it's made. So there's no kind of, you don't have, because making decisions is hard. And especially if you're resisting temptations, so actually, once you've made the decision, and, and you, mm-hmm. do you know about action triggers? Yes, you know so I was going to ask triggers? you about action yeah. triggers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so action, tr- yeah, so action triggers. For those who don't know, action triggers kind of say that when we have a thought in our head, often it will trigger the next thought. So, um, action uh, thought A will trigger thought B, will trigger thought C, and so on. And, and a good example of this, and I've, you, if you've heard my podcast, you probably hear me talk about this, but is that kind of idea that one day you go to the petrol station. And you pull in the petrol station and you go to pay for your petrol. And you've never done this before, but say you're a bit hungry, so you grab yourself a Snickers bar when you go to pay for your, pe- your petrol. <laughs> now, you've never done that before, so in your past, that thought's never been there. But then the next time you go to the petrol station, suddenly, oh, I might grab a Snickers bar. Now, eventually, going to the petrol station means I'm going to get a Snickers bar because mm-hmm. going to a petrol station means thought B, Snickers bar, and means thought, you know, and so on and so on. And so, and that's often what the black and white rules do as well because you remove that yeah. I don't grab a Snickers bar thing. And then when we look at action triggers, one of the things we're thinking about is the the way we change it is we have to basically pre-win that moment. So let's say you've started mm-hmm. that Snickers bar habit. The only way you're really going to win it is to kind of think to yourself, Okay, next time I go to the petrol station, I'm going to see myself not buying a Snickers bar. I'm going to, you know, almost create a script and a visualization yeah. of the the better behavior. And over time, the Snickers bar actually dies. But yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I love it. I, I kind of, well, there's a few things that occur to me. Funny enough, that that example is slightly uncanny because that's almost exactly how I lost about two stone about four or five years ago. Oh, really? By not eating crap, wow. not eating crap out of garages. I realized that one of my habits, one really? of my habits was just eating when I, when I was driving. I, I did a couple, I made a couple yeah. of other changes, but I kind of, in terms of my exercise and things, but basically one of my, I, re- I started spotting the habits and that when I was doing that kind of, 
doing that kind of thing and by giving up crisps and eating in the car by picking up some rubbish to eat every time i stopped for fuel i lost well it's funny so quite a bit i was speaking to a guy at the gym there you know, i was speaking to a guy at the gym the other day and um and he's lost a lot of weight really quickly quite dramatically and and like 57 kg like a lot of weight oh. um and, and i said to him well, you know because I, I was really impressed and i just said you know i've noticed it and so i was just giving him some praise and, I, and obviously exercise is just found exercise yeah. and i said what have you done and i said what have you done diet wise and he said i just stopped junk food <laughs> You know, and, you know, he's not really doing a diet as such. Yeah. He's just kind of did what you did. And, you know, it's amazing what it does. I, I, you know, I think if you stop the, eating the stuff in between meals, you're almost always okay. It doesn't even matter what you're eating the meals to a certain extent. If you stop the stuff in between, you're almost certainly going to, for most people, that's where they fall apart. Um, and there's an, in- well, this, well, you oh, got, I was going to say, it's kind of the other thing I was going to say, I've worked in drug and alcohol services as well in the past. Oh, and wow. so that kind of, um, habit prevention relapse prevention stuff is that very much that critical moment planning isn't it and that stuff you said that you've got in your head so that you win the moment ahead of time so that you pre-win it so you know you know when you're going to run into trouble and you actually have a almost a script about what you're going to do what you're going to say someone offers you drugs someone offers you alcohol are you going to come to the pub tonight and have a couple of beers you know exactly what you're going to say that kind of those that kind of those kind of fitness behaviors are just I think they're essential. I'm a, tr- I'm, a, I'm a true believer that if you future think your day, mm. you're going to have a more successful life. You know, I really believe that we have the ability just like, I love this idea of when I get up, like I'm very, again, I use a lot of tools. So um, <laughs> when I get up in the morning, I kind of have this, I call it Bevan's book and it's kind of this visualization, visual. It's kind of this thing that I just read every morning. It takes five, 10 minutes. And then what I do is I just think about my day. And because I plan my week really well, I kind of know what today presents for me. And then I just kind of think, what are the three or four hard moments of my day? You know, and I, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to us right now, if you wake up in the morning and, and you go, what are the three or four challenging moments in my day? It might be that moment when I've got to choose to do my exercise. It might be when I've got to resist some temptation. It might be when I've got to focus at work. But, yeah. you know, we we have, the, we have the ability to see that. And then I love this idea of, okay, see my three or four moments and then just preload what the actions I'm going to take at that moment. So, you know, if it's, it is intense and running, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to see myself putting my favorite music on. I'm going to see myself looking at my watch. I'm going to think of the thoughts I'm going to say at that moment. Now, you might not always nail it, but I guarantee if you have a process like that in your life, you're going to nail it more often. Mm. And then over time, those areas of struggle become a habit. So you don't actually have to go so much through that process. Yeah. You know, that, you know, I, yeah, to me, I love that future thinking, you know, winning moments or moments where you're going to struggle is such a good so, tool. And that kind of tool, do you do that as soon as you get up or is it kind of have, while you're having breakfast, yeah. a few minutes while you're having breakfast? Or are you, no. It's literally as soon as you get no, out of bed. I, I, yeah, I actually do it in bed. So I basically wake <laughs> yeah. up um, and I'll grab my, my Bevan book and, uh, and basically read through that and then just kind of spend a few moments thinking about my day. I actually look at my calendar for the day. Yeah. And then I, um, yeah, and then I just kind of think, what are the three or four moments? And yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, do you have any other sort of, yeah. just out of interest, any other sort of morning routines? Are you kind of, you like a bit of mindfulness, meditation, anything like that, stretching exercises or anything associated with that? Or is it mostly Bevan's book and. <laughs> Yeah, so it's mainly my book and then just visualizing my day. I, I teach exercise every day. Yeah. So, and it's always morning. So, I kind of just get into that. Um, but I, I do meditate, but I meditate at lunch when it's kind of my, my, my midday thing. Um, but no, it's, it's very much that. But it's it's all kind of layered because I kind of also have my weekly meeting. Yeah, I, just lots of tools. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I do this, and, and it's interesting because for me, these tools don't take effort anymore mm. because they are just habit. Yeah. A lot of people, when they start something new, there's a lot of effort around starting a tool. Um, and the, the thing I always try to encourage people to think about is 
you get to a point if you stick to tools long enough where you just understand the value of them. Like if I'm doing my tools, I just live a better life. It's as simple as that. And when I don't, my life's just not as good. Now it might, it's not crap, Yeah, yeah, but it's just not as good, you know, and I like living a sharp life. And so um, for me, you know, the tools, it's easy to be consistent because I now understand the value of it. If you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've I've had, to be honest, it's one I'm going to persist with, actually, that kind of morning book. I would probably, for me, it worked slightly better over breakfast. And I had a kind of, um, it was called a a trig life mapper. It was just a, it was basically a journal that got you to do similar sort of thing. But I I did it for a few weeks, then fell off the wagon and I haven't got back on the wagon again with it. But I think actually one of the things, at least like small steps, even if people can't get straight into that life mapping sort of future thinking thing is I I just stopped looking at my phone and stopped looking at the news in the morning, which was just like, toxic and not not yeah. a good way to set off on a day not very not great intention i think i think one thing that's really important to reinforce here is that as much as like you know like i'm pretty full-on and i've and i've kind of been, i've done it for so long it's kind of an easy habit for me now but there's not it's not my way it's it's your way and i think that's a really important thing is that all of our journeys are different and like i do a lot of mentoring with people and, and one thing i've learned is that no one tool works for every person you know, and, and often I'll say to my clients, we're chucking mud at the wall um, and we're going to see what sticks for you. And, and, you know, sometimes there'll be a tool that works unbelievably well for one person and it doesn't work for another person. And that's our job is it's kind of explore and the ones we learn work within well, its consistency and kind of just sitting in them. And the ones that don't work, it's like, OK, well, that didn't work, you know, but we're all different. And it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one thing I wanted to ask you about yeah. was, you know, obviously your involvement with the fitness industry and what, you've been, you've obviously, you've made it really evident that you're kind of, you're not into, you're an incredibly fit bloke, good-looking guy, fit as a flea, done in, Iron Man to an incredible level, um, and, you know, professional, pro standard. But actually you're all about kind of newbies as well, aren't you? And kind of, I get the impression from listening to you and reading your stuff that actually it's, you, perhaps that gives you more pleasure than anything is seeing people who are new to exercise, getting into it and developing it. And I wondered what your thoughts were particularly, and you mentioned a wee bit about this in the book, but you didn't develop it lots, was about the, the fitness industry and kind of where you think they are in terms of get, helping people get into exercise rather than those who are already doing the fitness stuff. Yeah, well, I am. I'm really passionate about that because I fundamentally believe your life is better if you're moving. Like I fundamentally believe it, not because you're going to get a six-pack abs, because movement offers so much to life. Uh, we can obviously recognize the physical stuff, but there's esteem, there's social connection, there's mental health, there's um, belief in ability, overcoming adversity is really healthy for us. It's, it's just having exercise in your life, you just have a better life. And it's it's so obvious. Mm. The sad thing is, is if we look at society, less people are having that. Mm. And um, and so I always said it's my role was to kind of help those who aren't helping. And, and the question around the industry is, there's a few problems. The first problem is um, we we are just designing products for fit people. Mm. So if we look at what's like if we look at what's in the industry right now, it's CrossFit, it's in New yeah. Zealand and Australia, F45 is a big thing, okay. and so it's 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 all that hits training stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even in, like you look at yoga right now, it's hot yoga. You know, like hot yoga is an intense hard workout. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to just do relaxing yoga anymore. It has to be super intense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so now. For people like yourself and me who who love exercise, who love this stuff, 
that stuff rocks, you know, like it's it's great. And there's a million options and they all work and they're all really great for the fit person. But for the unfit person, they just reinforce that they're a failure. And, and the thing I often talk about is that the unfit person, it's not that they haven't tried. They've tried exercise and they've failed. And so um, so they have a history and they have a story that tells them they're going to fail. And that history and story means when they move towards exercise again, they're looking to reinforce their history. So that, that this, they walk into a gym going, I'm going to fail. And then we, we give them CrossFit or we give them hits or we give them hot yoga and we make them fail. You know, and so, um, so to me, one of the problems, that's one of the big problems is that we need to shift our focus on how do you design exercise for that person? And it's actually a totally different kind of mindset and product. And, and the irony is that's actually the biggest market in fitness right oh, now. Yeah. Like if you want to make money in fitness, the biggest market is helping the unfit people. You know, no one's doing it, but, yeah. but that, that's where the money is going to be in the future. And yeah. You know, everyone's chasing the fit dollar, but actually the unfit dollar is where, you know, if you want to make good business, that's, you know, actually where you want to go. So that's um, one of the main problems. Secondly, as well, people reward those who are selling image. Mm. So <clears throat> the market rewards those who sell image. Um, and so, like I had a friend who tried to market a product and he really tried hard not to sell the six pack app and he couldn't sell it. And then when he did the six pack app and it sold really well. And so it's almost like the buyers aren't helping themselves because they're rewarding the wrong thing. So it's a bit of, it's not all the fitness industry. It's that, you know, like I, I did a podcast recently around, um, I called it Bevan's baby steps for beginner exercises. And it was kind of this concept of how should a beginner exerciser approach starting exercise. And one of the things that I said was choose a fitness professional who is, who's builds community around really healthy stuff. And it's around social connection. It's around winning around exercise. It's a different kind of thing. And, and I think that as a consumer, you actually got to look to choose a different person as well. Yeah. I think that's I think yeah. that's fascinating. I mean, there's a little bit of kind of people have been conditioned, but there's also the, with that six pack ab thing. But I also think it's um, there's various kind of psychological theories. It's that kind of it's basically it's unrealistic expectations. People all we all have appallingly unrealistic expectations of what we are kind of capable of and what we can do. And so the temptation mm. is to think, well, I'm only I'm only a, I'm only a couple of runs away from being a three hour marathoner, or I'm a kind of I'm, yeah. I'm only I'm only three or four weeks of doing sit-ups away from a six-pack ab and of course the reality is very different but we all that's a very human yeah. quality to fall into that but it, it creates a real and, dilemma and the quick fix is a, well and the, and the quick fix is, a, is an appealing thing to see isn't yeah. it if you're struggling with something we want a quick way out don't we yeah. the unfortunate thing is that most progress in life never comes as a quick fix it, it's always a worked on journey um and and in our moment of desperation a quick fix we think that's going to be the way through. But the problem is we buy the quick fix, we fail at it, yeah, and it just reinforces our deep ingrained insecurities. Yeah. And it's, it, that's the problem is that we're actually creating more damage than good often in the fitness industry. Yeah, yeah I, I'm certainly, yeah. certainly perpetuating it, but I guess it's a difficult one to break out for everyone. One way that um, I know that people, that's been really successful in breaking out of it in the UK, and is Parkrun. I don't know if you have the equivalent in New Zealand. Yeah, you got yeah. A, yeah, we do. We do yeah, yeah. I wasn't quite sure if Parkrun was international, but Parkrun released yeah. their figures, I think, just a couple of months ago, and they've shown year on, year out, an increase in the average 5K time. 
which is, of course, which oh, is really? a tremendous success. Because I said, I think the average yeah. time's gone from about sort of 22 minutes to like 20, no, I'm just, I think about nearly 29 minutes now, which is a massive yep. success story because it means that a whole yeah. lot of people who weren't exercising are now doing it. Um, and yeah, and Pat a great idea because it's basically saying to people, give it a go. You know, come along, give it a go. And and and, and Pat Run's really about community. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's you know, like one thing I, I did a speech for some doctors the other night, and my, my one of my key speech points was when I started working with exercises. So I talked about some of the key points working with beginner exercises, how how it's le- taught me new lessons. Um how you treat fit people is different how you treat new people. And, and it was kind of a few key points. But the number one lesson that my beginner exercises have taught me is that my real job as a fitness professional is to be a community leader. Mm-hmm. Seriously, like it's actually not about exercise. It's my, <laughs> my, my number one job is is building community. Because if I build community around movement and people make friendships, particularly new exercises, mm-hmm. if they make friendships around movement, they're going to turn up. Yeah, And they're going to move. And then eventually they're going to progress because everyone progresses if they stick at something long enough. And so w- the way I look at my my because I've got a, a beginner five k running program, and um and with that, all we think about is how we build community. Seriously, like the programming and that we've put a lot of work into that as well. But but actually, it's the community's the number one key. And so I actually see myself as almost like not not bloody. Uh, this is probably not the best kind of reference but almost like the priest at the church the priest at the church's job is to to help the community and really that's how i see my job as a fitness professional and to me if you're someone who's listening to this who's not exercising that's the person you need to be looking for the person in your local area because i also struggle a little bit with the amplification of fitness because everyone thinks that apps are the answers but apps aren't building community and so um I think that if you're listening to this right now and you're not exercising, spend a bit of time looking in your local area and look at the fitness professional who's great at building community. Because I guarantee if you go with that fitness professional, mm. you'll have a long-term habit of exercise. That, that's, um, yeah, that's really interesting. And you're preempting several of my questions, actually, because one of the things I was going to ask you was um, – how who should get who should get involved with because not a lot of people do it on their own of course you know and i tend to do all my fitness by myself and my exercising i've not i've not got involved in community perhaps and i can see that that's actually that's probably not that's probably a bad thing actually i probably it's an area i could improve in my life Mm. um but if Mm. somebody who did want to get involved um in exercising was just starting i was going to ask you actually what exactly they should look for in their fitness instructor but actually your number one thing actually and perhaps that's not what i expect i didn't expect you to answer that actually i know you've i've heard you talk about it but you think community is really the yeah, way no, forward? I, I would say it's number like for example, I've got to go at my gym, a guy called Celia, and I actually interviewed him recently. And like I, I'm without saying that myself, I'm really good at pulling people to exercise. I'm you know in my local area, I'm kind of one of the, the well-known people. Well, Suli is a freak. He can like you can put a <laughs> class on at bloody midnight and you get a hundred people there. He's an absolute freak. Now he's a very good fitness and professional. Don't get me wrong, but his his focus on building community is unbelievable, and um. And to me, so to me, the number one, so particularly for a big exercise, and like for someone like yourself, you're already an exerciser. So your routine, like I'd say build communities, go into communities is good because it adds other aspects like friendship and yeah. stuff. But it's, it's, but particularly for the beginner exerciser, the number one thing I would say is look for the fitness professional mm-hmm. who's built a community and understands community. So like little things like with our running group in Christchurch, we teach our coaches. If you see someone who's new to the group, your job is to have, make them make a friend. Yeah. You know, you know that's your number one job. Yeah. And so, when you come along to our group the first time, I'm going to come and say, "Hey, I'm Bevan. I'm your coach, and I'm going to make sure you feel comfortable and safe." 
And then I say, come over and meet these people over here. And then my, my runners know we're building a community, so they're going to embrace you. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's all of those types of things. So I'd say that's the number one thing. Um, I think that they've got to have a, an attitude of caring and love towards their people. And I know that sounds weird. A lot of fitness professionals, <laughs> the way they – train people is more about proving their own ego so it's more you know it's more about proving how hardcore i am as a coach um yeah now there are moments where like i love beating the crap out of people don't get me wrong (laughs) i love it but but the first thing you've got to go is what are the needs of this person and um and when you've got if you've got that kind of empathetic view of so or not even empathetic but just my job is to understand the needs of this person first then i can assess and give them the right guidance at the right time. And that will be a different thing for different people at different levels and at different times in their journey. And so to me is to have the person, because we can get a lot of cookie cutters type of fitness professionals. They just kind of have one kind of method, but really um, like I remember one, I was, I was, my wife and a few of her friends were doing a half marathon once and we're driving, it was kind of a while away. And, and they're asking me all these lessons or asking me all these questions as we were doing this drive. And afterwards, my wife came back to me. She said, they loved the advice I gave because it was really based around the fact that they were mums. And I understood how mums' lives just don't have the same amount of time. And that was kind of nice praise for me. And it meant I was doing it right because I considered their life before I gave advice instead of just giving advice. And I think you want to choose a fitness professional who has the ability to consider the whole you and then actually map out a plan that allows you to win. Because often they'll just give you a program, but there's no chance you're going to get it. And that's actually not a very you know wise way of kind of helping people progress forward. Yeah. So probably th- those, are, those are two good places to start. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm curious, how did, the, um, how did the talk with the doctors go? What, were the, what kind of reactions were you getting back from them? Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of done like a TED talk. Yeah. So it was kind of like a very short, yeah. Um, it, went, it went really well. Um, you know, it was interesting actually. It was, it was a talk to GPs. And because um, you're a doctor, are you a GP or a. Uh, yeah, I'm a yeah. GP, yeah. And it was really interesting because it's interesting I get to talk to worlds. And so you get insights into their worlds. And the guy who coordinated said that one of the frustrating things for GPs is they often feel undervalued because they get kind of. Their clients always want the next level's advice. And the next level don't necessarily value the the moment the work that the GP does in the community, um, which I found really an interesting yeah. insight. Would, would that be the same in the UK? It's definitely it's a well, it's a well recognised long standing problem. I think we're breaking down those barriers slowly but surely. But yeah, that's there's no question that's an ongoing issue still. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting because to me the GP is holds such an important role because you're the person who actually has a genuine relationship with someone for a long term and that, you know when we think about health well that's an important role sure you might not do a surgery but but that human connection is such an important part of health and so um so yeah my point was i was just trying to give them some because my point was ultimately that i imagine most gps recommend movement every day of their life and my concern, my concern <laughs> is that we we prescribe exercise, so we tell people what they should do. We're not necessarily teaching them the how. And and the how to me is look for a fitness professional who's building community. Um, look for a, fit, for a fitness professional who knows how to look at you and then guide you on your journey. That's realistic based on where you are in your life, you know. And because we, you know, we get given these guidelines that some governing body tells us is the right amount of exercise to do, and they're right. That is the right amount of exercise to do. But if you've never exercised how do you do that? And so my message was, maybe we need to broaden the discussion around the how so we can guide people around that. And they, 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 they seem yeah. to really like it. So it was really great. They're really open to it. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely, I think that's bob on. I think that's absolutely spot on exactly what's required. And because you, you have these consultations all the time and clearly there's a lot of pressure to prescribe medications mm-hmm. and things. And, but there's a, there's a, there's a massive emerging evidence base that oh. exercise is by far and away yeah. the best thing to do in movement for just about everything, as you've already alluded to under the sun. Um, but it's really hard to do it in a short consultation mm-hmm. as well in terms of digging into that, how of getting somebody who, if you put a stepometer on them, they're only doing one or 2000 steps a day. And actually, if you've already got a fitness habit yourself, bridging the gap between yourself and them is actually yeah. really tough. And, and that's the unfortunate thing for our industry because, unfortunately, like imagine imagine if for every fit person product there was an unfit person product out there. So for every CrossFit there was a, a walking group that would build an amazing community. Like that's the unfortunate thing because we should be providing you those solutions. Like we, you know, you should be able to go, you know what, there's this amazing walking group. They're great with beginners. They build community tell you what I, I, you go there go and, and right now we don't have those options for you because i get it you guys have got lots of clients and stuff we should be providing with a how i suppose yeah partly i think but there's lots of ways communities should do that as well the interesting thing i was going to mention just this very last week the um the royal college of gps in the uk has just announced that they've um formed a relationship with parkrun and so they're, they're, oh, they're actually go. specifically collaborated. There's going to be much greater efforts to make sure that kind of park run is right. advertised and um, recommended and point people are pointed towards it from also with, you know, in from uh, when they go to see yeah. their GP. And it, I guess it's those kind of initiatives. You don't necessarily need to get the, the fitness industry who are perhaps don't necessarily need to be directly involved in that kind of thing, but they can, they can obviously be, um, part of yeah, that kind of those provide some solutions yeah those solutions as well yeah so um, there's a really interesting yeah. kind of dynamic going on there so for somebody who's been for the kind of i know that you mentioned about in-out exercises in the past what kind of what kind yeah. of recommendations have you got for those particularly i think consistency is something you mentioned already about how you go about achieving yeah, yeah. that consistency for them because they're, they're slightly different like i was an in-out exerciser i would say for um about 20 years um, and it was really when I turned 40 a few years ago that I kind of managed to become a regular and consistent exerciser. Um, and so what, and what did that for you? Um, well, that's a good. I, I, I knew you were about to ask that. And I was like thinking, I don't know what my answer is. <laughs> um, I realized that if I didn't do it now in my life, I would never do it. I was in a lovely, we moved into a house. The kids were, a bit, for a few years, there's always been an excuse. I was a junior doctor. I wasn't sleeping. I was, I was away traveling. I was in the army. I wasn't getting any, no, I was in no one place. I couldn't get a habit. Things kept changing. Then I had babies and we had three kids under three. And I was like, well, that's good enough excuse. But then suddenly I got to a point where I'd run out of excuses. And I was like, I want to be, um, I, my self-image was of a regular exercise. That's the kind of person I wanted to be. And there was a gap between what the reality of what I was doing and what, where I wanted to be in terms of exercising regularly. And so I guess I just made a plan to I, I identified as i mentioned i needed to lose a little bit of weight um in fact i had a bmi of 25 but i still identified that i needed to lose a little bit of weight to be what was right for me um and then i also spotted where i wasn't exercising and for me it was during the week i wasn't and so i was leaving myself to be this weekend warrior that i'd had to get out the weekend to get enough time in and of course stuff came up there's always stuff happening life got in the way so i needed to build um, my exercise habit in the week so i then very much and i planned my week in advance as was as you've mentioned there it was that a few a life future lived is that i looked at my week and i still do this now and i go right i need to exercise here and i need to exercise there otherwise i won't happen and so i looked yeah. ahead and i said i've got a very modest target i exercise like four or five hours a week tops but i've done that consistent I've, I've done that consistently yeah. for about five six years and I don't think wow. I've missed a year. I missed a, a week hardly. 
in that period where I haven't done at least two or three hours exercise and I'll make it up the week yeah. after. And so consistency. So I kind of, I guess that that was my journey, certainly in terms of going from an in-out exerciser to being a, a consistent and a regular exerciser. So, so basically for a period of your life, you had justifiable busyness, mm. which allowed you not to prioritize your health. Um, and then you got to a moment in a time where maybe you're a bit more time rich, but also a time where you realized health was more important. So you planned and prioritized it again. And now you're consistently in that place. Yeah. I think I'm not sure I'm necessarily more time rich than I was. I think I just realized that I was, I was sick to death of making that excuse to myself (laughs) and that it was, Mm -hmm. it it was just, there had to be a way around it. There were plenty of people who were busier than me that were getting the exercise and therefore I just had to find the, and as you said, it's an individual thing. You've got to find that, that mechanism won't necessarily work for someone else. And I guess that's the fascinating Mm -hmm. thing about your job is that kind of looking at each individual and trying to work out where the pinch points are. Yeah, well, I think so. Going back to the kind of the in-out person, I think the advice, and I think your example is a really great example of this, is that you just didn't prioritize it. Mm. Um, and there'll be moments where you would, and I imagine your prioritizing moment in the past was probably when you got to a point where you were so dissatisfied, and then you'd probably get back on the wagon a bit for a bit, and then yeah. life would get busy again, and you'd fall off. And it was kind of this kind of up and down kind of experience. Um, and and this is something I'm, I'm a fundamental believer in this, in that a lot of people, when they like, one thing I when I do a lot of public speaking is a, a question I often ask is, "Put your hand up if you're busy." Everyone puts their hand up because you know everyone thinks they're busy. Um, and then the, the next question I ask is, "What's the first thing that gets dropped when you get busy?" And they, they kind of look at me they're a bit blank. And the answer is everything that's good for you. So when we get busy, we stop planning our food, so we start eating junk food because we eat food on the run. When we get busy, we don't sleep as well, so then we're tired the next day. When we get busy, we drop exercise. When we get busy, we disconnect with our partner, so we don't have as good communication. We we when we get really busy, we don't catch up with our friends. Now, all of these things, when you get busy, like like your hobbies or meditation, whatever it is, all of these things make you a better version of yourself. I guarantee if you're exercising, food planning, sleeping well, catching up with some friends, you're a better version of yourself. And um, the thing I always try to get the the in-out person to realize is that when I get busy, the most important thing I should do is maintain my healthy tools. And so like for me, like if I have a, like I'm a busy person, like all the rest of us, if I have a really busy period where it's just I'm under the pump, the first thing I do on that day is I go, when am I going to play my piano? When am I going to meditate? When am I going to exercise? And no matter how busy I am, now, it might not be as much. I might not be doing two hours exercise that day. I might not be playing my piano for 90 minutes that day, but I'm going to get half an hour in. I'm going to make sure I meditate, and I'm going to make sure I do half an hour's exercise. So I might decrease the load. But why is this important? Because if I prioritize my health first, A, I actually function higher. You know, we, we think if we compromise those things, we can get more done. I guarantee you don't because you, you go to mush because you just fatigue yourself. Whereas if you have those little moments in your day where you put a bit of time into yourself, you actually function higher. So you're more productive. It's actually a wise productive tool. But secondly, the loss of self, because a lot of people, like I imagine when you're in the in-out person, that moment before that total dissatisfaction, you're feeling you're like you're losing yourself. And those little moments of health, actually a big part of our identity and so to me for the person who's an out person is you've just got to understand that i should always prioritize my health first and and a strategy i love around this is just that kind of how will i feel afterwards 
you know so like in my busy day if i plan even to put half an hour of an exercise in how will i feel after i do that 30 minute run now you know you're going to feel great and it's just a good motivational tool but ultimately it's that the person who's consistent is off and, and it's you're a great example of this you've just prioritized it and as you said you're actually not less busy you're i'm sure you're very busy yeah but you've just learned yeah. that my life is better if I prioritize it. And so you're no longer in and out, you're consistent, but you're actually, I imagine you'd say you're performing higher, you're healthier and you feel better about yourself. Yeah, that's almost exactly the words I use, that my life is better. I know that if I exercise that four or five hours a week, or even if it's a horrific week, two or three hours, life life yeah. is rubbish without it. And as you say, if I don't exercise, I don't sleep. Not sleeping is like the all-time world's greatest disaster in terms of productivity. Yeah. The, the whole kind of, I had a yeah. rant about this in the podcast. Um, I found, I'm not, don't think it's gone out yet. The um, a, a couple of weeks ago was that um, the whole miracle yeah. morning kind of approach to um, productivity being absolute bullshit that you kind of, you, yeah. oh, you have to, you have to go to bed earlier. It's really a miracle early night because you can get up, you can, yeah, yeah, you right. can get up, you can get up in the morning, but if you don't go to bed, you're stuffed. You're, yeah. you're completely stuffed. Yeah. You've got to get the same amount of sleep. Well, sleep fundamental. You know, like it's so fundamental. Mm. You know, if if you have a bad night's sleep, the next day is not as good. Yeah. You might you might get through it, but it's not that. You know, whereas if you have a great night's sleep, you know, and, and we go back to the idea of you know each day has three or four challenging moments. If you haven't slept well, those moments become even more yeah. challenging. If you sleep well, there's a higher chance you're going to win them. So yeah, totally, I totally. Agree. I'm right. That. I really love the challenging moments idea as well. And one of the things I really like, Bevan, is the kind of the whole idea of actually tools is actually. It's that self-awareness of recognizing what your tools are so that you can actually use them. And actually, I'm, I, re- I realize that I'm doing a few of these things. Some of them work for me. Some of them haven't worked for me so well. But actually yeah. recognizing them as yeah. tools is a really key. I, I, and when you stop using your tools, then and you can see when life falls apart or things get harder. Yeah. It's really critical. Because ultimately, ultimately, isn't it? It's a decision moment, isn't it? You, in life, we have lots of decision moments. Now, some of them are habitual. Some of them aren't. Um, and so how often do you make the right decision? Mm. You know, and how do you get better at making the right decision? And then what allows you to make the right decision? And as you say, it's, it's a lot of tools. Yeah. So, Bevan, I'm, I'm very aware yeah. time's wearing on, but I just want to ask you quickly about what about regular exercisers, the, guy, the, guy, the guys and girls who are doing it all the time? What do you think they can what's, – what's, what, what's the next step for them? What's the kind of the things they should be doing? I think often the problem for the, the regular exerciser is that habit becomes the problem. Um, so – uh, and, I, and I've been an example of this myself. Like I've exercised extremely for 20 years and I still do kind of to this day. Um, and if, it's still important that you look for a challenge. You know, it's still important that you look for a challenge. And and, and you might periodize that throughout a year. Um, but, but I have a really good example. It's like I've, I did Ironman for years and then I stopped doing Ironman. And then occasionally I do a running race or something like that. So I'm not, I'm not really – I don't see myself as an athlete nowadays. I'm I'm a, a fit guy. Um, and, you know, like I'm, – I'm, you know, I, I can like I can turn up to a race and be competitive, um, but I don't I, not, I don't spend that much time working on a program. And last year I did a half marathon because my wife and I wanted New York Marathon this year, so I did a half marathon and I wrote myself a program, and I trained like an athlete again, and it was really healthy for me because I was I was a bit scared of exercise again. Like I'd wake up in the morning and I'd written myself a pretty challenge. I wanted to win my age group at a pretty big race in New Zealand. Um, and so I wrote myself a pretty challenging program. And because of my job, like I do basically 10 to 12 ex- hours of exercise a week, every week. And so because of my job, I'm always got a very good fitness. And so this was very much a top-up kind of program. But I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have a workout that I was a little bit scared of. And 
And I had to use all my tools. I had to, you know, I had to win the negotiation. I had to visualize it. I had to see myself doing the hard sets. I had to put my awesome music on. You know, it was a real journey to win that moment. And that program, I, I'd say I hit the objective of that program 90% of the time. Like of the, everything that I've written down, I kind of kind of got what I got. And I, I had definitely had some days where I was kind of embarrassed with my effort. Um, but most of the time, I pretty much nailed it. It was so good for me. It was so good to be scared of exercise again. And often the person who has the habit of exercise, they've lost the challenge of exercise. And so for those people who who I say listening to this who actually kind of regularly exercise, got a good routine, maybe not all year long, but I do think it's important a couple times a year to put a challenge in there where you are scared again. Because I learned a lot about myself. And in exercise is an area of my life where Again, I, I know a lot of the lessons. I can turn up and, you know, I, I know how to play the game really well because I'm just so experienced at it. Um, but I learned about myself again. And it was it was just a reminder of, oh, no, even though I can say I'm fit and all the rest of it, I still need to look for growth through exercise. And ultimately, that's kind of for the regular person who maybe goes to the gym three times a week or four times a week and has got that routine, still look for some growth occasionally. Yeah, you, you need to be scared of exercise sometimes. It's good for you. Oh, that's interesting. And certainly one that I've I've said several times on, my, on this podcast that I have I'm not good at doing goals actually because they it scares me a bit too much and maybe maybe I'm maybe it's holding me back from growing a wee bit as well. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that journey for me definitely was really re- it was really rewarding. That was the thing is that like I love exercising the best of times, but man, I was love when you do a hard hard session. And you've, you know, you've gone and you've been scared all day, <laughs> you know, you've used all your strategies, but you nail it, man, you feel on top of the world. Like it's the best drug of all. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, Bevan, listen, yeah. that's absolutely fantastic. I, I, you've, there's so much stuff here. It's just that you're like a, a little gold mine of fitness behavior. Um, <laughs> yeah. I recommend, recommend everyone I come across to your book, your fitness attitude and also your podcast, but perhaps you could tell us a bit more about where we can find you. Yeah, so I, I have a website, although I do need to update my website. It's a bit dated nowadays, but um, it's called bevanjamesisles.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a podcast called The Bevan James Isles Show. Um, and yeah, just I'm on Facebook and all the rest of it. Get in contact with me. I'm, I always try to help people if I can. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm very lucky in my life because I've always wanted to have a life that has an impact on others. And I've been very fortunate that people allow me to help them. And so, um, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in what I'm about, you can check me out. Yeah, well, I think people, you're completely an inspiration. I th- also, you're on, you're, I, if you're into Iron Man, then obviously you almost certainly will know about IM Talk as well um, out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a triathlon podcast I do, so it's a bit of fun as yeah. well. Bevan, thank you so much. Yeah. No worries. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blokeology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blokeology at www.blokeology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating that would be incredibly helpful and any feedback is very welcome and so you can leave comments send email or make contact via twitter facebook and the usual social media channels all of which can be found at blokeology.io thanks again